Welcome to Money and Taxes from BB to XYZ. I'm Regina Neenan, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Jason Spessiner, Certified Financial Planner and Enrolled Agent. Today, we're talking about money regrets, both those that we've seen others make and even those that we've made ourselves. Wait, hold on. Ourselves? Eh, now I'm scared. I, I guess I'll confess some of my financial sins, and, and that's okay because you can't really learn from your mistakes unless you make some. Still, we're doing this episode for a reason because we hope that you can get some lessons out of the money mistakes that we'll share here today and maybe even avoid making one yourself. And let's be real. I mean, one person's mistake may be someone else's best decision ever, so you really never know. And this is still a judgment-free zone, so we can learn together and not really think about who did a bad thing or who did a good thing. Is that fair enough? Yeah, I love the idea of taking the blame out of this. It's going to help lessen some of the emotions attached to these mistakes. And so that said, let's dig into some of those. And uh, hey, be sure to stick around to hear Jason's and my own regrets toward the end of the episode. So Jason, why don't you kick us off? Why don't you tell us maybe if you've seen some baby boomers make some mistakes that uh, other baby boomers or those in other generations can avoid? And again, not passing judgment here, but just thinking aloud as far as where I might see the potential for something that might seem or feel regrettable as you think about your financial plan as you're older, as you're aging and, and working through your retirement and really enjoying your time. And you start to think about what's going to happen with your with your estate, with your money, with your property. And so a lot of times we focus often on, of course, your estate plan and we focus on where is your money going to go and who's going to inherit. And often I take away that there might be some potential and some opportunity to enjoy some of that experience during one's lifetime. And what I mean by that is incorporating in your estate plan, not only an inheritance, but also a gifting strategy, a gifting plan. I feel like this even extends to maybe including yourself. When you get to the baby boomer age, the age that some are right now, I've seen some folks you know, work their entire lives to be saving and preparing for their retirement for that day that they don't have to work anymore. And then once they retire, they're still saving those dollars and they're not taking them to really enjoy their lives, enjoy the retirement that they've been preparing for for years. So that definitely extends as far as gifting, gifting to others in your life, taking care of others, but also taking care of yourself. And just knowing that you're sort of fulfilling those wishes, those desires, the things that you really want to see either grow or benefit or do well or just be happy, but getting to experience it, getting to be engaged with it. And sure, crafting an estate plan, and you hear it a lot if you listen to public radio and they talk about incorporating NPR into your in your estate plan, or you see some other opportunities, especially around colleges and universities universities to do legacy gifts and those sorts of things. That's all good and well, but you may just find a ton of fulfillment in seeing that happen sooner than later. And so when I say incorporating that in your financial plan, I'm really thinking about making that a very intentional goal, making that a very intentional gift where you know that you yourself are still going to be able to enjoy your money, that you yourself are not going to worry of what will happen if X, Y, or Z circumstance were to take place, but that it's just a part of the broader plan and that you're comfortable doing it and knowing that it's going to be something that you can accomplish. And just having that plan, it's never too late to start planning financially to work with an advisor who can really help you to lay out what the rest of your retirement's going to look like. For example, if you're already in the baby boomer generation, already retired, already right there, get started now so you can really make the most of your retirement and not have these type of regrets. I tell you what I have seen, maybe this leads to another regret of the oops into retirement, unintentional 
traditional retirement. You hit the magic age that we've talked about before where you're 65, you've reached your pension plans, retirement age, and you just feel like this is the time to do it. I need to retire now because that's what the world expects of me. And maybe you're not ready. Maybe you're not at the point where you're ready to either stop your work, ready to stop saving or whatever that is, but you don't know how to approach it any differently, or you're not really expecting to find a clear path forward with when you're going to retire. And so you just sort of follow the common guidelines, so to speak. And that may not be the best thing for you. So yeah, never too late, like you mentioned, and working with a financial planner at age 20 or age 70 or 80 for the first time, all good things in any case when you have those needs to plan for. And kind of extending that point out a little bit for those who are maybe our younger baby boomers who are getting close to that social security age. You know, I've seen people take social security at the wrong time and maybe not get everything that they could have or that they expected out of it. So that can be huge working with someone to find when that best timing might be. And Jason, maybe you can speak more to that. Social security is a maze. I mean, it's just, it's a confusing labyrinth of different options, but then there is the aura of simplicity, if you will, right? Oh, look at, here's a thing in the mail that says, well, if I take it at 62, I get this much. If I take it at 67, I get this. And if I do it, if I take some benefit at 70, it's going to be this. And it seems like, okay, well, I'll just line up whatever. I'm going to retire at 63, so I'll take something in the middle of those two ages and that'll be good. But that may not be the best option, especially when you consider dual income scenarios where you have two earners in a household and how you can strategize between both of you claiming that social security. So it is a very intentional thing that oftentimes we sort of just do based on, again, the expectation of, well, now that I am retired, I should be claiming social security where there may be a better path forward to bridge the gap, so to speak, with some other assets, some other income sources, and then maximize those social security benefits. Right. It's not something that you really get a do-over for if you claim Social Security at the wrong time, right? Yeah. There's very limited opportunities to do much about your Social Security claim nowadays. So yeah, it's something that you want to make sure that you are very intentional about. That really links back to that first point that we had about baby boomers, whether it's you know enjoying your, your savings by sharing that with others who are important in your lives or enjoying it yourself. You've spent your entire life likely paying into Social Security. So finding that right time to start enjoying it is really really key. And speaking of saving for retirement, Jason, that kind of leads us into our Gen Xers. What do you have for Gen X? Well, here we are, right? We've spent several episodes imploring our high earning Gen Xers at your peak earning to make sure that you are saving, 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 because this is where you have the resources to just stick all that money into very tax efficient places to make sure that you are preparing well for that upcoming retirement or just upcoming kind of lifestyle change as you age. But the one thing that you can easily fall into is this idea that you do too much of that. And so you mentioned it already, even with our baby boomers, that making sure that you are actually living for today and actually using some of these great resources that you have, going back to the intentionality of financial planning, incorporate your here and now. Uh, we like to call that the advice for what's now, a plan for what's next. Make sure that you have something for what's now so that you can enjoy, you know, the fruits of your labor, which have, you know, helped you become and be so successful, have propelled you 
make sure you're, you're fueling that. Make sure you're getting something from that today. Yeah, I've seen this happen, not in my professional life, but in my personal life where my parents were just saving and saving and saving for years and not enjoying the here and now. It was, oh, well, we're going to have a great life when we retire. We're really going to enjoy this. And then one of them had a um, major health issue and now they're not able to do all that enjoyment that they wanted to. So that really drove it home for me that you have to find that balance between now and later. And I guess here I go again, I might sound like a broken record, but working with a planner can really help you find that balance that you need so that you don't feel like you are cheating your future self by enjoying things now. But it's important to understand too, that even while working with a planner, you really do need to create goals that focus on something beyond retirement. And I always implore our clients to really look beyond that sort of next phase, but think about what would make you happy next month, next year, next five years, and so on, and make sure that those pieces fit in there. Because a financial planner or a financial plan, period, can do a really good job of helping you see sort of where to make a right turn and a left turn and how to get to both of those goals without sacrificing one or the other, but just making the sort of priority decisions that you need to today so that, you know, maybe, hey, if you want to travel the world a bunch as you're a little younger and able to do so, but maybe you do it on, on a little bit more reserved budget just to make sure that you can and also prepare yourself well for retirement and vice versa, right? It's just all about making sure that you have that compromise there. And maybe it's not all the things all with with all the money and all the resources in the world, but it's what can get you to the spot where you are both happy and fulfilled in both phases of your life there. Yeah. And reconnecting this to some of the previous episodes that we've done as far as taxes and savings go, it's also avoiding the regret of losing too many dollars to the IRS, to taxes, and being able to keep those in your own personal financial net worth. Yeah. As one CPA I know says, never tip the IRS. And, and that's just it. It's if, if you can save dollars by literally not paying them to the IRS and taxes, do that because that is going to help you fulfill you and not fill up the government coffers. Absolutely. And I know a lot of these really extend to all generations. So that said, let's move on to Gen Y, on to our millennials. Yeah. Now, Regina, I, I know you have a pretty good summary of where we feel like uh, millennials will have some money regret. Tell us more about that. Yeah. I often see this narrative where millennials get into this mindset of boomers ruined everything. So I'm never going to be able to afford a house. I'm never going to be able to get a great job. I'm never going to be able to afford to have kids or be able to pay off my student loans. And so, you know, I'm just going to eat all the avocado toast and get the lattes and not try. Having seen a lot of millennials talking about this, I'm afraid that some have actually fallen into this trap. So this is just a reminder to try. Try to get ahead. Try to uh, save up for that down payment. Try to reach those goals because whether you like to admit it or not, you probably have big goals for your life. You have things that you want to achieve. And um, don't let the boomers hold you back. Keep pushing. And there's a delicate balance here between the living for now and preparing for the future. And I think, and this is sort of the way I think of this, this exact scenario being a millennial myself, is that it's almost a way to sort of push off the responsibility in a sense. And I don't want to be so harsh to call it an excuse or anything along those lines, but to just simply say, well, it's all going to hell in a handbasket anyway. So why even do anything about it or why even try to prepare? I'm just going to live sort of outside of my means now because it's not going to matter in 20, 30, 40 years. 
And that's where we really got to come back to assessing and understanding our means, knowing what we can and can't do, what we can afford, where we should be saving and how, and using that to you know, knowledge is power, right? And information is everywhere. And and obviously there's a lot of noise that will not help you focus on the priorities. But at the same time, once we cut through all this clutter and just sort of think about, okay, well, what if? And realistically, it's far more likely that you will need to be financially self-sufficient in 20, 30, 40 years than some sort of cataclysmic or apocalyptic scenario. So we really have to be careful about making sure that we are making the right plans, the right preparations and both again, just like we talked about with X, like pairing for the future while also embracing today, making sure that there is balance there as you are preparing for that future. Yeah, really avoiding that future regret or the potential for future regret while also, Jason, you said balance, finding the balance between all of these competing objectives, whether it is saving for the down payment, paying off the last of your student loans, saving for retirement, um, maybe saving up to buy that new car in the next few years. It is really everything all at once for millennials. And so it can really help to lay out your plan, know what you want out of life, adjust as things change and really adapt to create the savings plan that you need to reach the goals that you have. Jason, I heard you mention um, apocalyptic before, and I feel like Generation Z can maybe feel like that's even more true for them with uh, the impacts that we're seeing right now of climate change. So that's a big connection between Generation Z and our millennials here. But what are some of the other ideas you have for Gen Z for mistakes, whether you've seen people make them or just want to see our Gen Zers avoid them? Well, stop watching all the zombie shows. We've worked end of days into money and taxes for BB to XYZ. But no, Z, what do you got here? What's the number one resource that someone in, in Gen Z has? That is time, right? You are young. You have a lot of time to prepare. And the one thing that works with time is this idea of compounding your interest or your return. And basically that means you are making money on the money that you've made from the money that you've saved and invested. And so it is never too early to start putting dollars away for a future. And whether that future is a couple years from now to buy a new car a decade or so from now to buy a house, maybe a little longer or maybe not even to prepare for raising a family. Whatever it is, those dollars in the proverbial bank today, in the investment account today, whatever, are going to start making more money for you. And the sooner you start doing that, the better. Yeah. Here we go with those competing objectives again. Um, Gen Z tends to have a lot of things going on. Maybe you just graduated college or you're a couple of years out and you have a heap of student loans trying to make ends meet on a month to month basis. And you think, you know, I'm going to focus on what I'm already dealing with right now. I have years before I need to start saving for retirement. But the longer you wait, the more years of compound interest you're missing out on, the more years of free money you're missing out on. And uh, do you really want to miss out on free money? I know I don't. I love that you have the free money day as the phrase in your household. And I think that's such a great point. It's like you can go earn a paycheck and it's payday, but at the same time, you had to expel some effort for that. You had to spend your time doing something that maybe you don't necessarily, now I'm not saying like go and find a job that you hate because it's going to pay you a lot of money, like go do something you enjoy. But at the same time, you're still expelling your efforts. You're still giving your time to that pursuit, to that work, where when you're earning money 
with money that you're just simply saving, like that is something that you don't have to do, right? You just simply get the dollars saved away. It will, again, almost like magic, but not quite, grow for you in a way that allows you to have more resources in the future and, yeah, and not fall again into a similar trap that some millennials may have of sort of thinking that either everything's going sideways anyway or I don't need to prepare because I have plenty of extra time to do that. I, I still have extra time, so I don't need to start today. No, starting today is the thing that helps you propel even more successfully into that future. Yeah. And just thinking of our Gen Z's ages here, maybe some are 18 to 21 years old, kind of those magic numbers for uh, different types of accounts called uniform gifts to minors. Jason, have you seen any young people make mistakes here? Well, it's interesting because the whole concept of a uniform gift to minor, uniform transfers to minor, act account, either one, is to sort of prevent this misuse of those funds by picking an age of majority. And in most states, that's actually 21. And in some, it's 18. I think there's one or two where it's even 19. But you know, you're supposed to be more mature. You're supposed to be able to sort of make better decisions at those ages. And I know if you're listening to this show, you very likely are thinking about this and, and being more proactive about your financial planning. But it's just also very easy at those ages. And, and maybe this is a hint, hint about some money regrets that, that we're going to talk about in a minute. But it's very easy to sort of run through those accounts if you're not careful. So if a family member has been putting money for your benefit into one of those accounts, which you are a legal owner of, when you hit that age of majority, like don't look at that as a windfall. Look at that as the head start that somebody made for you years before, and you're going to continue to be a good steward of those dollars. And in our industry, they call these accounts um, Harvard or Harley accounts because they're not tied to education. So when you reach this age of majority, usually 18 to 21, you can use that, that money for college. Absolutely. But you could also use it for something like a motorcycle or um, a lot of pairs of Jordans or something like that. I don't know. Some some folks may, may consider the Jordans, and I've seen some nice ones, right? An investment in and of themselves, but not if you're wearing them, of course. So Right, right. So um, I guess it's time to turn the tables to us and our biggest money mistakes ever. Jason, you hinted at one earlier, but I'm going to butt in and share mine really quick just to uh, get it out of the way. Now, mine is having bought an extended warranty for a vehicle right after buying the vehicle. Um, so let me set the scene for you. This was 2016. I had never bought my own vehicle before. I had always been gifted vehicles by family members. So uh, I bought the car that I still have today, and it's fantastic. But I blew my entire emergency fund on it and had to also borrow money from the bank of dad. Um, so I didn't really have much saved. I was paying any savings that I was doing back to the bank of dad, interest-free, thank you, dad. But I didn't have anything to fall back on if I found myself in a pinch. So of course, the, the folks called me up offering me an extended warranty that I could pay no interest in a, a number of payments. And they scared me. They said, hey, you know, if something goes wrong, you have to pay for this out of pocket. And so I got scared. I fell victim to what they were telling me because, you know, insurance companies want to make money. And I bought this extended warranty for multi-thousands of dollars and never used it once. So it was a totally sunk cost for me. I still look back on it today and regret it. When I did more research into the company, I found that they had you know, misled other people. And even when they had claims, they maybe didn't pay those claims back like they should have in their terms. And so um, some people really got into a sticky spot with this company. And I wish I had done my research initially and not bought the extended warranty. Well, there you go. 
Now, as you were telling me that, I just saw a text message come through asking about my extended warranty. But no, in all seriousness, this is something that is nowadays, it's almost a part of modern culture of vehicle warranty that you need to purchase. And you get it in the mail, you get it in a text message, you get phone calls about it. And you know that you, that you bought one, right? With the anticipation that, hey, if this car breaks down, like it's going to be a fortune to fix and I'm going to need this sort of help. Yeah. It also, it also had you part ways with resources that you could have used for other things. And you know, there's all this talk and there's a lot of debate about whether or not an extended warranty, right? is the right move to make. And oftentimes new car manufacturers are providing a warranty with that vehicle. And if you're doing your research, buying the right car, like that's going to be a reliable vehicle. Like why do you need to extend that warranty, right? You should pay for those costs as they come. So totally understand that that ends up being a bummer and and sorry that happened, Regina. Yeah, that's okay. If I could go back, I would make sure that uh, I hold on to some of those dollars and keep my emergency and future opportunities fund stocked so that if I ended up having to go in for a repair that I had to pay out of pocket, I could cover it. Fair enough. And it's a very good point and encouragement to have and utilize an emergency and future opportunities fund, or as we like to call EFOF affectionately for short. Yes. And if you are considering an extended warranty, do your research, or if you're already a client of ours, reach out and have us do that research for you. Whew, okay. I, I got that off my shoulders. I got that off my chest. Thank you for letting me go first, Jason. I'll now open the floor to you to tell us about your biggest money mistake or regret. So exciting. And maybe there are so many opportunities. Maybe there are not. But I do have one that I focus in on. And like I said, I sort of alluded to it earlier. At the point in my life where this happened, I was what would be today a Gen Z or a member of Gen Z. Of course, I am a millennial, but this was in my late teens, early 20s, I suppose. And I received a mid five figure inheritance from my grandfather. And thank you, Papa. But I unfortunately was not a good steward of that money. And this was sort of youth and youthful sort of indiscretion and not really understanding how money works. And granted, I wanted to be this sort of like, hey, I've got some dollars now and I can go spend some money on whatever I want. And I was just sort of understanding how money worked and what I could potentially do with these dollars. And it's easy to look at, well, if I had just stuck this away and earned 7%, I'd have blah, blah, blah by XYZ age. And All of that is to say, I just did not do the right thing with that money Uh, to the point that this is where getting outside of your means really gets you in trouble. And so I've learned from this mistake, but ultimately what ends up happening is once you're outside of your means, it's hard to rein it back in. And the farther and longer you are outside of those means, the the worse it gets to the point that it, it not only resulted in not having any of those dollars available or keeping any of those dollars, but actually spending beyond that. And of course, when you're in college and you have the potential to, Hey, you know, go, go sign up for five credit cards at once, you know, and we'll give you a t-shirt, um, which I'm not sure if they're doing on campuses anymore, but at the time I was there, they sure were, you know, it gets you into a hole on the other side of it. And so it took years, literally years for me to work out of that hole. And so it is still something that again, coming back to the whole idea of, we can't learn from mistakes unless we make them. Acknowledging that I made that mistake and that I dug myself into a hole on top of blowing an entire tens of thousands of dollars on just stupid things, it allows me to learn from that. It allows me to reflect on it. And hopefully somebody out there listening in a similar situation, it allows you to to learn from that too. Yeah. That sounds like it was a really large amount of money for, especially for someone at that age. And Jason, you're not alone. This, this happens to lots of people if they don't necessarily 
necessarily have the tools at that point in their lives to deal with receiving a large sum. So if you could, you know, rewind time, go back, or at least um, share a little bit more to help someone in a similar situation, what would you do differently? I would engage the, the, and there was a financial planner involved with this who had offered to sort of help with what to do, right? How to strategize. And me sort of finding myself in a scenario where, and, and this was, you know, junior, senior year of college coming just into the professional world, which I, I was thinking myself, well, I'm going to be, you know, this is what I'm going to do. So I already know everything. And again, I was straight from college into this profession. So thinking that I would just solve all the puzzles myself and that didn't work, obviously. That's why I'm bringing this up as a regret, but I would have engaged that person. I would have listened to and, and considered what they had to say and what advice they were offering to me to be able to do smarter things with those dollars, because that's frankly it. It's part of this that is resources out there for you to work with and to understand how to make smart decisions with your money. Use them, right? There, there's there's so many and there is a lot of noise. There's a ton of noise, especially in the, the era of 30-second sound bites about mind-blowing financial magic that frankly, again, tons and tons of noise. But then there is also very reputable places to receive financial advice and, and do that, follow up on that. And that's what I wish I would have done. Definitely sound advice. And uh, I'm going to bring us into today's takeaways with that. To start us off here, the first one, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody, even financial planners. Whether we've been in your shoes or whether we've seen it happen to someone else, we might be able to help you move forward after a mistake. So don't ever feel like it's too late to turn it around. And don't let the regrets, the mistakes, whatever you want to call it, don't let it stop you from thinking about the future and moving forward. There is plenty of potential, again, to get yourself on the right track. You can work with a pro. You can do your own sound research. But in either case, get yourself back on track. It is possible. Learn from it. Don't let it make you shut down and, and never grow and move forward from it. Right. And if you can, try to learn from other people's mistakes, whether it's something that you heard today or research that you do on your own so that you can avoid making money mistakes and having money regrets associated with them. Now, if you have an idea for a future podcast episode, or maybe you want to share your biggest money mistake or regret with us, um, or if you'd just like to share feedback, let us know. You can reach us at podcast at fpfoco.com, and you'll also find that email in our show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Jason Spessner and Regina Neenan are investment advisor representatives of Financial Planning Fort Collins, a registered investment advisor. The information in this podcast is provided for general educational and entertainment purposes only. It may not apply to you or your specific circumstances and should not be considered financial, investment, or tax advice. 